Live from the WTMJ Annex Wealth Management Studios at State Fair Park, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Well, that was quite a night. Let's get right to it. We're joined by Brendan Conway, um, who is the Media Relations Manager for We Energies. Brendan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Now, for people who don't know, in another life, you, you were actually a reporter on one of the local TV stations for a number of years. Is, is it days like today that maybe you make you wish you're, you were still back in your former occupation answering questions, <laughs> instead, asking questions instead of answering them? You know, I, I, I prefer this. Plus, I don't have to stand in the snow at 10 o'clock at night telling people it's snowing, which was, uh, you know, maybe the breaking point for me by the end. I, I joke, of course. Amen. I appreciate our friends in our local uh, journalism. Amen. Okay, so the the CEO from We Energies describing what happened last night as the largest restoration project in the company's history. At, at the at its worst, how many people were without power, and where? What's the most current number? Where does it stand? So we're still getting numbers in as far as outages, because believe it or not, some people are still reporting their outages to us. Um, we think once all is said and done, we will have the overall be about one hundred seventy five, one hundred eighty thousand, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, we've been able to restore power to more than 100,000 people, which is good. Um, we still have, obviously, a significant amount of people out uh, that we have to restore. Um, we do believe that by midnight tonight, so by the end of today, we'll restore another 50,000. So within about 24 hours, we think we'll have about 150,000 of our total people restored. That said, um, we don't know what's going to happen yet with the weather tonight. Uh, obviously, some severe weather chances, which could uh, really slow things down or change things. Um, and we are asking for help from other utilities in the Midwest. They're also waiting to see what's going to happen with these storms. So right now what we're saying is once all is said and done, we think it will be a, a multi-day event to get the last customer restored. Brandon, I, I am curious. When you have as the large number of outages that you had yesterday over such a, a wide geographic area. It wasn't just confined to like a few blocks or, or a particular neighborhood. What is the process? How, how do you triage that? I mean, how, how do some people's power get restored and some people are out? Is, is there a formula for that? Great question. So every storm is different, um, obviously. depends on the damage, right? Tree damage is different than lightning damage. Um, what makes this one so difficult is that it's all of the above. We have trees uprooted, right, from the heavy rain and the wind, toppling over an 80-foot uh, tree falling onto our equipment. That's going to take a long time first to clean up. We might have to get a new pole, get it delivered, get it in the ground. So those type of things take a while. If we have to replace equipment because lightning, we have to get that equipment from somewhere. Now, we have a lot of stock on hand, but we don't have a piece of stock in every block in the city or in the county or in the state, right? So it's going to take a while to get it there. Um, we do prioritize emergency management type situations, critical infrastructure, so cities, police departments, uh, um, fire departments, hospitals. You know, hospitals, those things take the priority for sure. Um, and then the biggest bang for our buck. So if we can assign one crew and they can restore 3,000 customers, that crew is going to assign that. Um, sometimes, honestly, the threes and fours and fives customers, they take the longest. They are basically construction projects in some situations. We have to replace multiple poles, multiple lines of um, uh, uh, power lines. Those things take a long time, and keep all this in mind, right? Not that we would ever cut corners, but we really can cut corners because we're talking about electrical equipment. So safety is incredibly important, too. So the work we do has to be perfect. 
the situations they have to be in that we're doing the work is oftentimes uh, difficult. It's dark, it's windy, uh, it's rainy. Uh, so that's one of the reasons. They, they, it all takes a long time. That said, I don't expect someone who's listening right now who's without power saying, well, great, take your time. We understand it's frustrating. <laughs> right. We appreciate everyone's patience. People have been so wonderful waving to our crews, you know, cheering for them. That's great. We appreciate it. Continue to do that. Please don't slow them down, but continue to say hi and wave. Um, but also, the, the patients will be really helpful. Uh, we are getting there as quickly and safely as we can. I am curious about the, the process. Are, so are you able to tell when, when there's a power outage, are, are you able to tell, I mean, early on that, gee, this is a transformer that affects 5,000 uh, houses versus it's a tree on a power line that affects maybe just one block. Can, can, you make, can they make that determination when they're deciding, you know, where, where to go first? Not usually. Well, they can decide where to go first. So we, our system is smart, uh, smart meters, smart uh, you know equipment. So it can it can measure. It knows when there's not power being uh, you know sent through uh, a certain section of the system. But we don't know why necessarily. That could happen right. on a nice day, a cold day, windy day. So we oftentimes do have to get someone to eyeball it. Uh, sometimes it's. Starts at the substation. We know it's an issue at the substation. We unfortunately get wildlife right. uh, sometimes in our equipment. So it. it to your very specific question, we oftentimes have to get eyeballs on where the damage is. I mean, sometimes, literally, we know it's over, you know, a long area. We will have what we call our troubleshooters. The troubleshooters, they will go out, and they're, guess what they're doing? They're troubleshooting. They will drive a line. At nighttime, they got to use a flashlight or a high uh, beam, and they will be looking for equipment. Uh, they might see a tree or a branch that's obvious, but they might notice just that little spot where it's been burnt a little bit because a piece of equipment failed or lightning hit it or something fell into it. And that's really how specific we sometimes have to get. Now, clearly with this storm, you can drive down the street, you see a giant tree um, on our equipment. Mm -hmm. That's going to be easier to understand what happened, but now we have to f remove the tree and figure out how do we fix it. What needs to be fixed? Is it just the pole? Is it every piece of equipment? Can we reuse that line? Do we need to string new line? Uh, do we need a specialized crew? Do we need specialized equipment? These are all things that take a long time, sometimes. I'm sure, I'm sure from the perspective of some customers, it's a little frustrating. For example, where I live, we lost power about 7.30 last night, and it was for a it was essentially everybody north, and we, we were we live right on one particular street, and everybody like us to the north of that street lost power. You'd look on the other side of the street, and they had power, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, why is it us and not them? But but it, it's just the way the grid is lined up, right? Correct. I mean, it's like a city street, but some, sometimes the plow comes by one side, and that one plow that side is clear, and, and the other one isn't. It's just going to take us some time. So yeah, it's it's laid out in the grid oftentimes, and if one part goes down because it gets hit by something, just people on that side or really on that grid or on that feeder, which is a significant, uh, we call them feeders. Those are large lines. Those are going to serve two, 3,000 people at a time. If a feeder goes down, it might be people on the block and other people on the other side of the street, they're served by another feeder, and that's why they have it. We're talking to Brandon Conway, who is the media relations manager for We Energies. Uh, Brandon, I know one of the things that you were alluding to is when, when stuff like this happens, it, it's all hands on, on deck. Where where are you going to be getting assistance from? I mean, who's going to be coming in to help supplement your, your crew that's been out there um, working since probably like 6 or 7 o'clock last night? Yeah, another good question. So we do have contract crews that we have on call year-round, so we can activate them. Every other utility basically in the country also has contract crews. In situations like this, they will release some contractors to us. 
So we have gotten some commitments for contractors from the Midwest who are heading our way. Some are already in town. We also, our company, WC Energy Group, which is based in Milwaukee, we own Wisconsin Public Service, which is a Green Bay-based uh, utility. They can also send uh, employees down. They certainly will. However, they have to wait to see what happens with these storms tonight because their customers uh, might need that effort. Uh, that's also what's slowing this down. You know, normally if this was just a, an event that just happened to hit, let's say, Milwaukee County for some weird reason, right, uh, we could get out the utilities throughout the state of Wisconsin could be sending people in, no problem. But because they also have outages and they also may have outages over the next 24 hours, they can't release all of their employees yet. But that said, we expect that they will over the coming uh, days if they're able to. Brandon, as long as I have you, a number of people are texting in asking about the, the overhead lines versus underground lines. Is, is burying electric lines, is that, is that the future moving forward to maybe avoid some of the, the trees falling on power lines and things like that? Yeah, that's a good question. About 45% of our system currently is underground. I mean, think about all of downtown Milwaukee is. Um, it has its advantages in a storm. Uh, but it's incredibly expensive, so we have to always balance that, right? It's really expensive, maybe as five to ten times as expensive to, to bury a line. Also, if you have an outage with an underground line, it's not as easy as, as I mentioned earlier, that troubleshooter looking up and finding it. You have to dig it up. You have to dig up that whole line. So outages can last a really, really long time. And actually, uh, I've just seen some pictures from our crews in the field. Some of these trees, as they're being uprooted, guess what they're pulling up? They're pulling up underground lines. Those people are going to be out longer than if those were overhead lines. So we examine every part of our system all the time. Does it make sense to go underground or does above ground make more sense? And so we, we have a really good mix. Like I said, it's about 45, uh, 55 um, right now, uh, but we'll always look into put them underground if need be. But it is expensive, and you know who bores the cost of that is are the customers. So we, we, we're, we're sensitive to that. So the bottom line of this is you, you're hoping to have another 50,000 people's power restored by, by, by midnight tonight, uh, assuming assuming it doesn't get any worse with whatever might happen with the weather today. And, and then after that, it, it, I assume that the people where it's just like a, a one-block outage as opposed to a much larger outage, those are the folks that might have to really pack their patience for a little bit. Exactly right. And, you know, we apologize in advance. We will get to everybody. Um, but, you know, if, if it requires extra uh, employees, the people we don't have, or extra equipment or specialized crews, those are the things that oftentimes will take the longest. So focus today is really continuing to get the most bang for our buck, getting all those uh, big outages uh, restored, and then we'll work through everybody. But people, please, who are listening now, they should know. We really are. Uh, I feel for our people. They're out there working incredibly hard in this uh, hot weather um, and 24-7, they're out there, and they'll continue to stay out until every last person's back on. Well, you know, and, and that is the other thing. I mean, I, there, there's only there, there's only so many hours that you can expect a, a repair crew to work before they, they've got to knock off and, and get a little bit of rest or something. That's why, like I said, my place, we lost power around 7.30, came back on at 3 o'clock in the morning, but I assume that there was a crew working diligently for, for hours and hours. Mm -hmm. they, they can't work. 24-7. You, you've got you've to rotate people in and out and give them a break. Yeah, I mean, our, the maximum our employees work, we do for safety reasons, is 16 hours. Then they have to get at least 8 to 10 hours off. That's, that is a rule, um, tried and true. So, exactly. We, we, we also, you know, but we also want people working overnight because we don't ever want the work just to stop. Because even if we're working with a smaller crew overnight, we can still pick people up and, you know, one crew can leave off other work. So, it is a uh, 
it, it's a sometimes slow going, and people may watch it and they say, what's taking so long? Or even people may look at it and see, oh, great, we energy is here. They remove a tree off a line and then they leave. We haven't forgotten about it, but a separate crew may need to come to string that line and to fix it up. So it, it can be frustrating. It can be hard. Um, we hope that when your lights come back on, you you, you, <laughs> you cheer a little bit. That'd be great. Uh, but we also understand. And maybe you did, Jeff. Did you wake up at three to yeah. the fan oh. and the air conditioning kicking <laughs> kicking in? Well, well, uh, Brett, Brett we mentioned. I, I woke up at three. I, I noticed that all the lights had come on, the TVs had come on, and stuff. <laughs> I kind of rolled over and went back to sleep. My wife, however, jumped out of bed because she she was thrilled that the fan that now we can turn the ceiling fan on. Now we can put the air conditioning back. So so yes, we were both happy. My wife was extremely happy at three o'clock. This morning so yeah so well, you're I, welcome I appreciate that, it Brendan. Yeah, yeah. well thank th- well and yes thank you to all the guys that, that worked on that so Brendan, look I, I know this is a really busy day for you thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon and um, answering the various questions i, I think I, I was particularly curious about the whole triage thing and how you make the decisions and uh, it has been hopefully illuminating for the folks listening in so thanks a lot for your time i appreciate it thanks jeff anytime Absolutely. That's Brendan Conway, who is the media relations manager for We Energies. I, I was actually, I mean, I, I know that's that, that's one of the frustrating things. It's like, okay, you, you see, they say 175,000 people have lost power, and they've restored power to you know 100,000 of those people, and you're going, well, I don't have the power. Why, why, why did somebody else get it? And I think it is sort of like the triage. They try to figure out, okay, if we've got this substation that's down, and we can get this back, that gets 5,000 people on the uh, up on the grid. I, I remember years ago, I lived in, in Whitefish Bay in a neighborhood, lots of mature trees. And we had, there was one of these windstorms that came through, and a, a tree down the block from us went over, took out all the power lines. But it was an isolated thing. And, and actually, I think we were without power for a couple of days because they, they, were dueling, they were dealing with the, the bigger issues. And, you know, okay, we've got six houses. Well, unfortunately, those six houses, they're, they're kind of down on the list. You don't like that, but that's sort of the reality. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. The Wisconsin State Fair is here, and WTMJ is your best chance to win tickets. Throughout the run of the fair, we'll be giving away State Fair tickets and a Gruber swag bag. It's the Gruber Law Office's State Fair giveaways on Wisconsin's radio station. Tell you what, let's do that right now. Caller number 10, 855-616-1620. Caller number 10 wins a Gruber swag bag and two tickets to the Wisconsin State Fair. 855-616-1620. The, um, one of our texters makes the point that, Jeff, losing power is also called called electricity appreciation moment it, it 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 actually is now look like i said we we lost power at our place about like 720 725 last night it was just you, you saw that these, these monster winds were coming through and i was kind of looking at the radar and i'm thinking okay well it looks like that wind shear has moved through maybe we've dodged a bullet and then all of a sudden boom you know you you lose power and it, it comes back for a second then it's gone and i figured okay it's going to be gone for quite a while no that it wasn't we, we were very fortunate it wasn't the end of the world we didn't have trees falling on the house or anything like that but it is you're so used to all these things that we depend on electricity okay there goes the tv there goes the internet don't open the refrigerator door because you know you you don't want stuff to spoil okay you've got no lights no problem grab the flashlights we were lucky at our place because we have uh, at least you know the the hot wa- the water heater runs by gas and so my, my wife had been out with some girlfriends for dinner she comes back and she's like running up to the porch she looks um beautiful as always but just soaking wet she wanted to take a hot bath well thankfully you know 
know, because it's a natural gas, you know, heater. Well, we were able to, you know, we, we didn't lose the hot water. But but nevertheless, it's all those different issues. Gee, you want to get out of the, you want to pull the car out or something and no, open the garage door. Well, the garage door doesn't work. You've got to detach it. All those different things that do make us appreciate uh, electricity over and over again. There is an irony to what happened last night as well. And this is for, for years and years, I've been talking about wanting to get a generator, and I, I've never, I, I've never really, you know, gone ahead. I mean, I've investigated it, but never made the calls and things like that. I swear, true story. Monday night. We're out to dinner, and I'm discussing with people. I said, hey, I'm really thinking about getting a generator. And one of the couples that we were with said, yeah, that they, they have them. And somebody else said, ah, no, we don't, we, we don't need them. And all these people live kind of close to where I, we are. And my wife was saying, oh, they're really expensive. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily need that. Well, I think after the experience last night, maybe we're going to revisit that whole generator conversation. But the irony was, honest to goodness, Monday night, I'm talking to people about, well, do you think it's worth getting a generator and all those things? Now, again, in our particular situation, we were very fortunate. It, the We Energies folks, and, and by the way, I, I, you know, I understand it's frustrating to lose power and things like that. But I, I think these We Energy crews deserve just a lot of accolades. And I, I mean, I, I think they're they just We Energies rocks. I mean, that's just the, the bottom line. And I understand sometimes people complain about the utilities and the costs and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, last night was the largest loss of power. Um, in, in the history of the company, bringing about the largest restoration project in the company's history. And I understand that's little consolation if you're one of the people that still don't have your power back. But, I mean, if you think about the scope of this, just imagine 175,000 to 180,000 people lost power throughout our, you know, our, our area, pretty much our listening area, you know, last night. Think about, you know, the size of that project to bring everybody back. And I think We Energies deserves a lot of credit. I, I want to get your reaction to what happened last night in just a couple of minutes. So that's what we're going to do next. Let's take a quick break. 1228, this is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. How did you get through last night? What happened where you were? Let's start with Gary in Sussex. Gary, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hey, um, we had uh, we, we live in Sussex, and we lost our power around 8 o'clock or so with those big winds. Then my wife panicked, and she said, okay, well, we've been married for 48 and a half years, and we're going to eat it on our 50th. So we were scared. So um, this morning I got some dry ice, and I packed it in dry ice. You know, I don't want to kill it on our 50th, you know. And then for <laughs> did, light. Did you? For, oh, go ahead. Okay. Did, uh, did you, do you have your power back yet? Um, I don't know if we did or not. I'm, I'm a heating and air conditioning contractor, but uh, for lights, I went out and just picked up a bunch of my solar lights, and we had I don't know, we had a house well lit. And then we okay. were forced not to watch TV, so we had to look at each other, and it was wonderful. There you so, go, yeah. Gary. Yeah. Thanks for calling. I appreciate. Well, we ended up we okay, Gary. We ended up reading. Uh, you know, we, we we were reading by flashlight. We had a lot of candles and things like that. Denise and East Troy. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right. What, how um, was it in East well, Troy? Last, we, uh, it was really windy. The wind, I think, is what did it. We didn't have much rain, a lot of lightning, but we lost power about 7 o'clock. I don't know when it came back on, sometime late last night, early morning. But I'm telling you, we had I had little tea lights. That was it. 
and we I was not prepared. We were not prepared for this at all. And yeah. no flashlight. I don't know why, oh. but we were doing trivia on the phone. That's how we were yeah. doing some trivia stuff. But I just went out today and bought a bunch of candles and uh, headlamps and yep. a flashlight, and we're yep. going to be ready if it happens again tonight. Well, hopefully not. Thanks for calling, cool. Denise. Hopefully, now that that is one of the that is one of the, the distinctions. I mean, for example, if we at my house, of course, you know the power goes out, so you lose the home Wi-Fi. But you know, you still have internet access through your phone, so you could you could check in. And I was I was actually um, you know trying to watch the progress of the storm and checking some things. So there was a degree more communication that you would have had, say, fifteen twenty years ago when the cell phones weren't uh, ubiquitous. Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm on the north side of Kenosha. And um, boy, last night, like just to echo your other callers, the winds were just torrential. We had so many trees down here on the north side of Kenosha. And um, we lost power only briefly at our house. But what I want to say is uh, this morning, I'm out and about working, and um, my goodness, they have had the community service officers, we energies, uh, police officers, firemen, um, getting all of these trees chopped up out of the roadways. They've done yeah. a tremendous job. Yeah, it, it actually has. I mean, Julie, thanks for the call. It's It's been amazing to see the way that the community's coming together and, and getting those tree limbs taken care of. And, you, I mean, you really, you know, we, we take stuff like electricity, for example, for, for granted until you, you don't end up having it. And then you realize how much you miss it. Maureen in Menominee Falls. Maureen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, Maureen. <laughs> Uh, my husband, actually, last night, he grew up in an area where whole families would just go sit, watch the storms in their garages. Um, he went outside and actually felt the shelf cloud, the one that was pushing those high winds pass over. He said he had never felt a temperature drop that severe, that quick in his life. Luckily, he came inside right. before the winds got really bad. Um, I was telling the screener, too, I actually work for a tree service. I am a arborist, and we have been just inundated with emergency calls of trees down, limbs on roofs, uh, you name it, the amount of damage that we've been dealing with out in the east half of Waukesha County. Right, right, and probably no end in sight. It's probably one of those deals where you hate to tell people, but it's going to be in some cases a couple days before you can get to them, I would imagine. Uh, we are very lucky. We have multiple salespeople. We are currently responding to emergency calls as quickly as we can, uh, but we are definitely keeping our eye on the radar for this evening as well as the storm system that's going to be brewing from this humidity looks to be a potential repeat of last night. Hopefully not. Maureen, thanks for the call. Angela in St. Francis. Angela, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> well you, do you have yeah. power? You're listening to me, so do you have power? I do not have power. I've been oh, out for okay. 15 plus hours without power. Um, mm. My ice maker was melting through my freezer, so finally I got mm. to the point where I dumped all the ice into a cooler, put whatever I could that would fit into the cooler from my fridge, loaded up a cooler yeah. of stuff from the freezer, brought it to my parents' house, and... 
filled up yeah. a couple garbage bags and just threw some stuff away because I just don't have much of a choice, you know. Uh, boy, so, it, 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 makes, yeah, it, it, it makes us appreciate all these these things we these things we typically take for granted, like refrigerators. <laughs> and then once they're not working, we appreciate them so much. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm lucky enough to where my parents don't live too far from me that I'm able to kind of bounce back and forth between their house and my house. But as of right now, they still are assessing the situation, and there is no time frame of when they expect it to be back. Yeah, thanks for the call, Angela. It, it's, it, look, and I appreciate it. It's no consolation. I, I, I get that. But there, there's a lot of people... That, that are in that that same situation. That's why I appreciate you know, having the conversation we did with Brendan Conway to give give you an idea that it, this was just this was a massive massive event. The way they describe it is it's the largest restoration project in the company's history. And I understand if you're sitting there and you know your neighbors have power or you know you're hearing about other people. Well, the power came back. I I, I get it. That you know why why hasn't this happened to me? But you need to understand the scope of what happened last night. Mark in Greenfield. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Um, Hi, Mark. Last night uh, I was I was coming home on the freeway and was right behind a semi that crashed in the tunnel on coming from 94 to 894. I immediately got on 911. Was put on hold for 20 minutes. You have to remember wow. that. Uh, <laughs> You have to remember the overload that the 911 goes through also in these uh, situations like we have. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, thanks to call, Mark. It, right, it, it stresses all, I mean, all the different emergency response thing and stuff. I, I live right off of a... A, a a major north north south street and like I say my my wife was was being brought home by one of her girlfriends last night they'd gone out to dinner and got home right as this whole thing was starting but the power had gone out and you know there was a there was a police officer that was out you know directing traffic in this particular intersection um, just to make sure that people were getting by and I, I felt bad the police officers there in this driving rainstorm with the huge crazy winds and stuff just trying to make sure that people are going to get through this particular a busy intersection without you know killing themselves or killing other people mary joe and greendale mary joe you're on wtmj hi how you doing i am well thank you the sun is up right now and um <laughs> at least it's air conditioned where i'm sitting <laughs> well in greendale um we lost power within the first two minutes of the storm uh two houses down from us the tree went down in their yard which ended up taking out a power line which is sitting on my next door neighbor's fence and so oh. the police were there, the, the fire trucks and everything were there. And according to We Energy's website, in our little area, there's 66 people affected by our power outage. So listening to your guests earlier, we're assuming, like, late yeah. tomorrow <laughs> that, I mean, they, they yeah. came out and put cones up around the tree, but they haven't done anything to cut it down. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go to a friend's house tonight take my dog there yeah. with the humidity cause, um, and take a shower <laughs> at somebody else's yeah. house. You know, it's yeah. little things you can't do. So... Well, no, right. It's it's interesting because it's funny because when we lost power at our place, a couple of our friends who live in in the area, you know, were, were saying, "Okay, you can come over and stay with us." And we decided, "No, we're 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 not going to do that." But if it was if it was a prolonged period of time, if the power was going to be out for a few days, I, I think I might find friends or family that was willing to like put me up for a couple of days because it's especially when yep. it's 
90 degrees outside. No, I get it. Thanks for the call, Mary Joy. I appreciate it. Um, to, to the point that she's making, here's a text. Jeff, we lost power in Tosa when a tree in our alley was hit by lightning and a branch fell on wires, started on fire, and blew out the transformer. Thankfully, no one was hurt. We got our neighbors to move their cars nearby. Fire department came, said We Energies has to come to address the tree first and repair the transformer all last night um uh let's see um all told last night to return inside stay out of the alley because of the damaged wires and the trees still hanging yeah it's it's just i mean when stuff like this happens it's an absolute mess we had a, a call from the arborist earlier and i i've told this story once or twice on the radio before so bear with me if you heard it but we're, when i lived in whitefish bay we had three huge, very mature oak trees, and one we had to take down because it was dying. Another one was, it listed, but this is a tree that goes back to, gosh, the Civil War is when, so it's one Saturday night, and it was a Saturday night in June, and it was after we'd had day after day after day of rainfall, and this ties in with the point that our guest Brendan Conway was making about, like, underground lines, that the tree was listing, and it's Saturday night, it's raining, it's about 1030 at night, the doorbell rings, and it's a police officer from Whitefish Bay saying, are you aware that your tree is is blocking the road? And it's a what? Because what had happened is the tree that always had a little bit of a list to it, that the ground just kind of gave way and the root ball came up and the tree went down. Now, thankfully, it, it didn't go down on anybody's house. It, you know, didn't go down and hit a car. And so, but it was the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, how do you get rid of this 40-foot-tall, you know, oak tree that is now blocking the road? So it, it's always a challenge. And, and this is, I, I think, what people are going through now. So I, I wanted to just spend some time today. They're talking about the stuff that happened last night, that this, these common experiences. And for people out there who are frustrated with this or that or the other thing, I, I don't have my power back on or, you know, the, the, the tree limbs are still down and things like that, we, we do, you know, need to understand that this is a – this was a big deal event that, that happened last night and that everybody is working really, really hard. And I also appreciate that if you, if, if nothing happened at your place, and I know a lot of people that didn't lose power, no problem, they're like, well, why are they spending all this time on this? My, my light stayed on. I had no disruption of my cable. Air conditioning continued to run, you know, no issues, nothing like that. Well, okay, that's all well and good, but for, at least 180,000 We Energies customers in our listening area, that that was not what the experience was. So hopefully, 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 we will not have a repeat uh, of what happened yesterday because, candidly, I, I think, you know, after day after day, we've had several days of these, you know, storms and the high heat and the humidity. I, I think we deserve a break today. Hopefully that will happen. All right, lots more coming up on the program. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the WTMJ Annex Wealth Management Studios at State Fair Park, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I want to give you an update. I, I told you a little bit about this story the other day, and it, it's a truly horrible story. The, the the officer involved, her name is Ella French. She was a 29-year-old Chicago police officer who was killed in the line of duty the other day. And, and I bring this up because now more details are emerging about what happened. And one of the things that always drives me crazy when I read media accounts of, of contacts between police officers and suspects is, 
it's it's the phrase is routine traffic stop. Police were making a routine traffic stop, and these so-called routine traffic stops are what generates sometimes some of the citizen interaction and the citizen complaints. Well, I can't believe they stopped me, and and the police officer was rude when he came up to the side of my car, and and I always try to encourage people to put themselves in the space of and the place of the police officer. Okay, you're, you're on patrol one night. You see a car that speeds by you. You see a car that's driving and has an expired tag. Or you see a car that's got a brake light out or the, the front light isn't working or whatever. And so you make what would be, quote, unquote, a routine traffic stop. You never know what you are coming up on. And it, it might be, again, just somebody who doesn't realize that their headlight is out or doesn't realize that the brake light isn't working. And, and that's that's the case, and thankfully that's the case in most situations. But there are those other cases where you're coming up to that car, the people have guns, maybe they've got bodies in the trunk, maybe they've got drugs in the car, you don't know. And if police officers always seem a little bit on edge, well, stories like involving uh, the late officer Ella French are are some of those stories. Now, here here's the deal. Um, officer, I'm reading from the Chicago Tribune now. Officer Elephant French and her partner had their service weapons holstered when Imante Morgan shot them both at close range during a struggle, exchanged fire with a third officer, then ran and gave the gun to his brother Eric before Imante collapsed with two gunshot wounds. Cork County prosecutors said Tuesday both men were held without bond. Body-worn camera footage, some of it recorded by the wounded officer's cameras after they fell to the ground, captured much of the confrontation. French died of a single gunshot wound to the head. Her wound, now she was 29 years old. My understanding is she was just back from maternity leave. Her wounded partner was still in critical condition Tuesday with a bullet lodged in his brain as well as gunshot wounds to the eye and shoulder. All right. French, a 29-year-old with three years on the job, was driving her squad car at about 9 p.m. Saturday with two partners, male officers ages 39 and 30. They pulled over a gray SUV for having expired license plates. Okay, kind of a routine thing. Morgan was in the driver's seat, prosecutor said, with an unarmed female witness in the passenger seat next to him, Imante in the back. So these are brothers. The officers walked over, and each of them directed one of the people in the SUV to get out of the vehicle. They asked Eric to hand over the keys and step out of the car. He complied. He admitted he had pot on him. The 30-year-old officer asked the woman in the passenger seat to step out. She also complied. Imante, this is the one in the back got out, too, on the orders of the 39-year-old officer. But he had a drink in one hand and a cell phone in the other and refused to put them down. He started physically jerking his arms away from the officers. In other words, kind of like resisting arrest. And you can see how this is now starting to escalate. As Ella French's partners tried to get control of Imante, this is the guy in the back, Eric, that's the driver, took off running from French. He was nervous, he allegedly told police. He knew Imante had a gun and got scared and started to run. The 30-year-old officer ran after him as the 39-year-old officer struggled with Imante. That's the guy in the back seat. The encounter ended near the front passenger side door with Imante partially inside the car and the 39-year-old officer over him yelling at him to show his other hand. As French came to assist her partner, 
Amante fired multiple shots, hitting them both. They fell to the ground between the car and the curb, the prosecutor said, with both their guns still holstered. Their body-worn cameras were still recording and captured Imanti coming out of the car with a gun in his hand. The 30-year-old officer, now this is the one who's chasing the brother, um, he, he stops. Um, he calls to, after he hears these gunshots, he calls to his partners. He doesn't hear anything on the radio. At that point in time, he runs back to the SUV, radioing for, radioing for backup. As he runs towards the car, Imanti, that's the shooter, starts firing at him from the back of the vehicle. He returns fire, falls to the ground. When he stands up, he saw the brothers across the street both running south. He fired again, hitting Imanti in the abdomen. The two ran out of sight. Imanti gave his brother Eric the gun. Imanti was found on the ground with gunshot wounds to the arm and abdomen. He's the one that murdered the two police officers in cold blood. His um, brother Eric fled to a nearby yard where he encountered a group of residents who took him to the ground and held him down until cops arrived. One of the witnesses in the yard said Eric hit him in the arm with what he believed to be a gun. Police found a 22 caliber handgun in the yard near where Eric was arrested. Testing confirmed the gun matched cartridge casings recovered from the street behind the SUV. This is this is one of these situations. And again, for everybody out there who I don't like the police or all these police or these awful people out there, these are these are three cops who are out there just doing their job. They, they make a stop for a car because it's got expired plates. And, and all of a sudden what happens is the murderer in the back seat, he's got a gun. He decides he's going to resist arrest. It escalates. He shoots two police officers who haven't even drawn their service weapons. They don't even have their guns out of the holsters. He shoots them in cold blood and then tries to kill the third police officer. So for everybody, again, out there who says, oh, these police are being overly aggressive and doing these things, this is the type of situation that a cop faces on a daily basis whenever they make these different traffic stops. So for all the defund the police crowd out there, okay, you know, here's, here's the bottom line. These men and women who do this put their lives on the line on a daily basis in order to try to preserve, you know, some aspects of society. So, you know, maybe instead of being so quick to criticize or want to believe that this officer is guilty of that or the other, you, you know, you can do yourself a favor, dial all that back, and remember the sacrifices that these officers make. In some cases, it is the ultimate sacrifice, and that's the story of what happened in Chicago last weekend. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. The newest summer event is the WTMJ Classic from the club at Lock LaBelle and Oconomowoc. Our WTMJ team is hitting the golf course this August for a day of food, fun, and networking. Join us on August 17th during the WTMJ Classic live broadcast for an online auction benefiting Rogers Behavioral Health Foundation, a Wisconsin nonprofit providing life-saving mental health treatment. Text the word GOLF to see the items now. It's the WTMJ Classic, hosted by the club at Lock LaBelle, sponsored by Culligan Water Waukesha, Sit Means Sit Dog Training, Professional Construction, Inc., and Evans Transportation Services in Brookfield. All right, let me give you a little peek behind the curtain of what goes on on the radio station and on this program. Now, I am broadcasting live from State Fair. My producer today, Jordan, he's back at Radio City. Coming up approximately a minute from now 
is our, our weekly EAS test. But we don't run the EAS test. What happens is the, the government takes over the airwaves, and it's supposed to be at 120, but it, it might be at 120, it might be at 121, it might be at 123. We don't exactly know, and we get no advance warning as to when it's going to happen. So we, we do the program, but if all of a sudden in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a commercial break, the government takes control of the airwaves and, and does their EAS test, it's really kind of beyond our <laughs> it's i don't know what else to say other than it's just it's sort of in other people's hands a uh, big political news yesterday ron kind who has been the congressman from the lacrosse area forever announced that he was not going to run again he was elected first elected in 1997 he uh, decided that he was not going to run again kind comes from a, a seat which has been trending more republican over the last couple elections and he actually had a, a very close election the last time um i think there's a couple things going on first of all i always take politicians at their word and ron kind part of it said he just it's kind of just burned out you know he's um he's looking forward to moving on and i think there probably is some truth in that okay we are back that was our es test like i say they just kind of take over in any event ron kind who has been a he's actually the dean of the wisconsin congressional delegation with jim sensenbrenner's retirement after the before the last election um he's been the congressman from the lacrosse area since 1997 it is a district which has been trending more republican over the years and um he announced that he was not going to run again there's a couple things going on first of all he he's 58 years old he's been in congress for a long time and i think he just kind of said he's he's ready he's sort of burned out and he's ready to do something actually his phrase was running out of gas and he's he's ready to do something different and i think you you have to take him at his word i think there's probably some element of that that's out there and i matter my my guess is part of the fun of the job probably does go away secondly let us be honest um i think that there's a a decent chance if you look at history, that you might see a, a red wave in 2022. I understand some some of you don't want to hear that, but historically, the party out of power picks up a lot of seats, you know, during the midterm elections, and I, I think there's a, a a decent chance that that is in fact going to happen. This was always going to be a very very competitive district, and I think Ron Kine understood that you know if he were to run again, he would be looking at a very very expensive, extremely hotly contested election, and maybe he'd win, maybe he wouldn't. But I, I think at the age of fifty eight, he kind of decided, well, okay, maybe it's just time to bow out. This definitely increases the chances that the Republicans have to pick up that seat. Don't know who's going to emerge as the candidate, whether it's the guy that ran against Kine a couple years ago, or whether now that it is an open seat, you might see some other people um, wading into this. And I don't know who the Democrat candidate is to replace him. But, you know, this this is going to be, go at, at least among election observers, this is going to go down as the one of the most contested seats and probably is going to be viewed as a likely Republican pickup in 2020. And keep in mind, you know, just, just a few House seats, it swings control from Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats to the Republicans. So who knows how this is going to play out. But this is very, very big news in Wisconsin, and it's big news nationally as you try to figure out which party is going to control Congress, you know, after the 2022 elections. And, of course, that's going to make a huge difference because you look at some of the things that the Biden administration is trying to 
get through now, including a $3.5 trillion spending program, which would make LBJ's great society look like peanuts. So Ron Kine stepping down, definitely big news. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us as we broadcast live from the Wisconsin State Fair where the sun is breaking out. That's both a good thing and a bad thing. You always like to see sunshine. On the other hand, um, that, that's some of the thing with the high humidity that fuels some of those thunderstorms. And after last night, as we talked about extensively in the first hour of the program, that the last thing we need is more fuel for more big storms, um, considering what happened last night with regard to all the damage and all. Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. You want to talk about the, the gang that, that just couldn't shoot straight. And, and I, this, this comment isn't directed specifically at the current iteration of the Fire and Police Commission, but it, it's almost amazing that you can have a group of people as dysfunctional as this. It was almost a year ago, almost a year ago, that the Fire and Police Commission decided to illegally Get rid of Alfonso Morales, the the chief that they they had hired. All right, so for the last year, and we know there's been all the litigation, and we know that there was a huge settlement where taxpayers are going to end up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to former Chief Morales and his attorneys. But, okay, but for the last year, what has gone on is the Milwaukee Police Department has not had a full-time police chief. You had an acting police chief who then stepped down, and you had another acting police chief. So now you're in a situation where there's been, at a time when crime has been going absolutely totally through the roof you you have had no leadership at the police department and you could argue that you've had very little leadership among the fire and police commission so the fire and police commission you know that they've been going through that they interviewed different candidates and then you had candidates that withdrew and you can understand why you'd withdraw because you never knew what was going on with morales well anyhow after going through all these I don't know, gymnastics for the better part of the last year, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission has now unanimously decided to start over the police search. They're going to start over the search from scratch, um, meaning that, again, there's no clear deadline as to, you know, when a police chief is going to come in. They, They can't even get started with announcing the path until September 2nd. So now, now Morales, the lawsuit doesn't hang over the the commission anymore. So now they're, but they're, the point is they're back to square one. It's been a year that the Milwaukee Police Department has been without a full time permanent police chief, and my guess is it's going to be another several months because again they're back to scratch. I, I'm not criticizing the current Fire and Police Commission for deciding we got to start from scratch, but the underlying question is how how badly could these people screw this up, and how could something like this have been allowed to go on as long as it did, and where is the leadership from the mayor? You know, where is the leadership from members of the Common Council? How much of this silliness will people of the city of Milwaukee put up with before they finally say enough is enough? And I guess the answer is they're not close to that point as of yet. And we are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. You know, I, we, we've talked a couple times over the last few days about these different businesses that are announcing that by August 15th or September 15th or October 15th or November 1st, 
employees will have to prove that they have been vaccinated or else they will be fired. Essentially, the, the thinking is they, the companies will say, well, this is one of our workplace rules. If you don't get yourself vaccinated, we're going to consider it to be a violation of that and you will be terminated. And, and I think legally, and I don't play an employment lawyer on the radio, but my guess is they probably have the legal authority to do that. But what I have been discussing over the last couple of days is whether or not whether or not they seriously will do that. And you, you saw this yesterday. There was a protest in Madison, and you had a number of, of health care people that were out there, and they were saying, look, we're, we're not going to get vaccinated. And these were a lot of nurses and things like that. Now, it, it raises the question, again, this, this is, regardless of how you feel about the whole issue of should people be mandated to get vaccines or not, but the question becomes, in my mind, right, all these companies that are saying that they're going to fire people if they don't get vaccinated, Will they really follow through? Because there's this practical thing that's out there. You know, we, we've got a, a nursing shortage now. So let's say that the 10% of the, the nurses in a given facility or a given health system, 10% choose not to get vaccinated. Okay, are, if you fire those 10%, how are you going to replace them? If let's take a, a nursing home, for example, and, you know, nursing homes, they have a huge trouble, you know, finding people to work right now. You know, if, if you say, all right, let's assume for the sake of argument that maybe at a particular nursing home, you've got 15% of the workforce who decides not to get vaccinated. Well, November 1st rolls around. All right, you, you, you're probably short-staffed to begin with. What happens if you fire 15% of the workforce? And, and I know we, we've had this conversation, and I don't know what the answer is. I, I think, you know, we're, we're going to find out. But, but what happens when you, you do that? Now, one of the other examples, United Airlines came out last week, and United Airlines said that we're, everybody's got to get vaccinated, and you have until whatever the date was, whether it was October or November 1st, you, you have until that date, all our employees have to be vaccinated or they will be considered to be terminated. And again, I raised that same question. We had one caller who works for the airlines that says, no, no, airlines, airlines have no trouble finding people, and you know, there's all these different applications, and there's not going to be any consequence for it. And I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that, because again, my same question is that. If you all of a sudden say, we're going to get rid of 10% or 12% or 15% of our workforce when you're already in a situation where because of COVID, a lot of people were laid off and went to other occupations or whatever. How is that going to work? Now, I bring this up because today the CEOs of other major airlines, not United, but Southwest, American, and Delta all say that they are not going to require unvaccinated employees to receive the shot. They, they, they say they're encouraging employees to do it. They are providing incentives for them to do it. But they're not saying you're, you're going to be fired. You're going to lose your job if you don't. Now, I think there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is, as a practical matter, they understand that that's that, that they I don't think that these companies believe that they can replace the employees as easy, perhaps, as United thinks that it can replace their employees. And they don't want to get into a situation where they've said, hey, you have to be vaccinated as of October 15th or November 1st or whatever the date is, or, you know, or you're going to be fired. They don't want to get in a situation of having some of these employees call their bluff if it is a bluff, because then, you know, what, what are they going to do if they don't have enough I don't know, ground crew to your baggage handlers or whatever. It's just it's an interesting situation. So, again, 
Delta, American, and Southwest all saying they are not going to fire existing employees for failure to get the vaccine, breaking from United Airlines. Now, Delta does say that for new employees, they are going to be requiring new employees to be vaccinated. But as far as the existing Delta workforce, that is not a requirement. They encourage you to do it. They provide incentives. But they're not drawing that line in the sand. And I believe the reason they're not drawing the line in the sand is they have a concern that, you know, if if enough employees step over that line, for whatever reason, that they might have some real trouble figuring out how to keep their planes in the air. Okay, when we come back, hey-ho, are you still going to go? I'll explain. We'll discuss. So very glad to have you with us. During the 12 o'clock hour of yesterday's abbreviated program, we had an opportunity to talk to CEO, uh, Summerfest CEO Don Smiley and kind of go behind the scenes on the announcement from Summerfest. Summerfest, which is, of course, going to be held over three weekends in September. And as Don pointed out to me, that is summer. It's not fall. Still summer in September. Never understood that. It's like Oktoberfest. We have Oktoberfest in September as well. Go figure. But in any event, the Summerfest guidelines now are that in order to come onto the grounds, in order to attend the concerts and get onto the grounds, you will have to prove that you have, in fact, been vaccinated for COVID-19 or alternatively have proof that you were tested within, I think, three days. I think it's 72 hours and have proof that you tested negative on that. In addition, children under 12 who are not currently eligible for the vaccine, all children under 12 coming onto the grounds will have to wear masks. So that's the rule. Masks for all kids under 12 and either vaccinations for everybody above above 12 or proof that they have received a recent COVID test. And Summerfest justification for this. And, and look, I, I understand where they're coming from. They're saying, look, here's the problem that... Um, a number of the promoters of these acts, the, the various acts that are there, they are putting these requirements in. And there's uh, there's examples I was saying, like Jason Isbell, I'm a fan of his. He's playing at the Riverside on December 2nd. That That's one of the conditions. He said, look, this is if we're going to go do our show here, this is the condition we have. And um, what Summerfest CEO Don Smiley said is, look, we're, you know, we got killed last year from a business perspective. We didn't have. We didn't have business. And so, you know, what would be financially disastrous for us is if we would have two or three or four or five or however many of our main stage performers, for example, you know, declare that they're not coming because we don't have this rule in place. And this rule that Summerfest is putting in is it's in essence, it's very similar to what they did at Lollapalooza in Chicago last week and what they're going to be doing at other um, facilities and venues as well, like Bonnaroo. All right, so that's that's the reason for it, and I, I appreciate what Summerfest is doing, and Summerfest explains why they're doing it. So it, it is, in fact, you know, what it is. If you want to go to the show, if you want to go to the Summerfest grounds, you either have to be vaccinated or you have to have a, a negative test within 72 hours. Either way, you're going to have to prove that or or you're not going to be allowed on the grounds. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't want to talk about the wisdom of this one way or the other. I, it's, I think it's a decision that they had very, very little choice. I think this is, this is something that Summerfest just had to do as a practical matter. What I would like to discuss is how is this impact going to impact attendance? You know, on the one hand, there might be some people out there who are 
now more likely to go because they say, hey, I'm, I'm vaccinated, but I'm, I'm concerned that maybe I could still be exposed to people who aren't vaccinated. And, and maybe it's going to be a situation where now I feel safer. I'm more inclined to go because I know that everybody there is either going to be vaccinated or have evidence of a negative test. So that's the from a Summerfest perspective, that's the glass is half full way of looking at it. The glass is half empty way of looking at it is people who just simply decide, well, you know, I wanted to see this show, but you know what? I'm not going to get vaccinated. I have concerns about getting vaccinated, whatever your reason are, whatever the reason is. And so I'm certainly, if I wasn't going to get vaccinated, for example, to keep my job, I'm not going to get vaccinated to go see a show at Summerfest. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the impact that this is going to have on on Summerfest and on Summerfest's attendance. Will it turn off more people than it turns on? Or is this just going to, at the end of the day, kind of be a wash? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I discussed with, with Don yesterday, and I, I think this is going to be the one of... Look, I, I'm going to just be honest with you. I, I think, big picture, I think this is going to hurt attendance. Whether it's the right thing to do or not... I suspect when you Summerfest tries to be, and I'm a huge fan of Summerfest, I, Summerfest tries to be multi-generational in that they try to have people, they try to have music groups that appeal to teenagers, and they try to have musical groups that appeal to baby boomers and everybody in between. That's what they try to do. Um, interestingly enough, though, if you look at the statistics, what you find is a disproportionate number of the people in teenagers and people in their 20s and early 30s, they're, they're, they tend to be the ones that aren't vaccinated, statistically, you know, a, a larger number than, say, us, us baby boomers for whom have perhaps greater concerns about, you know, what happens if you get COVID and all. And the... I guess I'm wrestling with the idea if there's a lot of people who've just made the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated for whatever reason, you know, and then they're told you can't go to Summerfest unless you go and, you know, you get the negative test. I'm, I'm wondering how many of them are going to decide, well, I'm just going to skip this this year. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jim in West Bend. Jim, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, um, Hi, Jim. I, I don't think it'll it'll affect attendance. I'm sure that they'll fill that up. I mean, there's plenty of young kids out there that'll be going to this stuff. But what astounds me more than anything is why people who are vaccinated are so concerned about the people that aren't. If you're vaccinated, what does it matter? I mean, if the person next to you has a vaccine for chickenpox and you don't, you're safe. You're fine. What do you care what other people are doing with their health care decisions? Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for the call, Jim. I mean, I look, I'll, I'll give you the perspective. I'll give you what the argument is, and this comes from somebody who is vaccinated. The argument is, first of all, that even if you are vaccinated, you can still transmit the disease, even if you're not going to get sick yourself, that there are breakthrough cases and that you could still give it to somebody who's not vaccinated. Now, I understand your argument, and I, I it, in some respects, it's kind of compelling. It's like, look, after months and months, if people by and large have had the choice to get vaccinated and they've chosen not to, you know, don't they have to kind of live with the consequences of that? In addition, there are breakthrough cases. There's a there's a study out today, and it, it hasn't, I'm not sure it's been peer-reviewed, but it, it suggests that, that maybe the efficacy, particularly of the Pfizer vaccine, it isn't 
isn't as great after a few months as we have been led to believe. Now, it's only one study, and, and so I don't want to go down that route too much, but I guess that's the concern. People who are vaccinated are concerned that, hey, you know, even if we're vaccinated, you know, if we come into contact with somebody that has COVID, we could still get sick. Bill in Waukesha. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, first of all, um, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine that when these bands contracted, there was any kind of uh, extensive vaccination going on. So the fact that they're going to, that it's in their contract that they could pull out, uh, I don't buy that. Uh, number two, I plan on going multiple times. I will not be going because I am not vaccinated. And uh, I also would have to get tested like three times to go yeah. to the three times I wanted to go to Summerfest. So, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people who share my sentiment and will be making the same decision. Yeah. Um, thanks for the call, Bill. I, I look at it, and the, the, the purpose of this topic isn't to argue with people one way or the other about decisions. It's more to kind of figure out what is the effect of this decision going to be. Um, let's see, Jeff, there's no way on God's green earth I would take my child and have them wear a mask. That That is a, another another factor that's out there because the rules are because people under the age of 12 – can't be vaccinated um that that they're going to have to wear masks and i i do i remember and i understand where where this kind of comes from but i am trying to picture how that's going to work as a practical matter if you're you want to come down on like a thursday afternoon and you want to go to the kids play area and stuff and you've got a group of small children and you're in an outside environment, you're going to put masks on them, and you're going to expect them to keep masks on them. I, I did that. That's an element that, if that really is how it works out, I could see that perhaps. I don't know, being a discouragement for some of the, you know, some of the adults. Jeff, I think it will hurt attendance. I'm not vaccinated and I'm not getting tested just to go to Summerfest. I think it's a bad move. Well, it's it's a move that I, I think is required and i mean i think don smiley makes a pretty compelling case as to why why they are doing it and i mean our first caller was talking about what well, he he didn't think bands could cancel because of that i i don't know i mean like i say that's a what i have read and i'm not an entertainment lawyer nor do i play one on the radio but what i've read is the promoter of a lot of the big concerts you know live nation um th- this is this is a requirement that Live Nation is at least seriously considering putting in for all their acts that are that are out there. So whether or not an act could pull out because Summerfest refused to adopt this policy, don't, I don't I don't know for sure. I'm not going to give a legal opinion on that, but it's clearly an issue that I think Summerfest is concerned with dealing with. Um, on the other hand, I also think Summerfest feels overall that they believe it, it's the right thing. Does this believe that it's the that do you think it's the right thing to do? Now I did. Here's a text that I and I did not ask Don Smiley this question. Jeff, does the rule um, affect Summerfest employees, staff, and law enforcement working the event? I, I did not ask him that directly. My guess is the answer would be yes. I mean, I, I would. I would guess if if to attend to get onto the grounds you have to either have been vaccinated or show proof of a negative test. My guess is that would be. A requirement as well for other people that are working. Um, here's a text, Jeff. I don't care one way or other, but I'm not happy that they added the requirement so late in the game. Um, and I, I understand that sentiment as well. But 
the, the thing is, as we have talked about repeatedly, the stuff with COVID changes on an almost daily basis. The CDC, I mean, changes their different instructions on, on COVID. It seems sometimes like people change their socks. So it, it's the, the, the recommendations are constantly evolving. And, you know, we, we've gone from different stages to different stages. And I think Summerfest is just trying to figure out the best way they can go to put on a show. Will Summerfest occur? Yes, it will. Will this decision impact attendance? I think, you know, if we're going to be real about it, the answer is probably yes, it it will. Because I know that there's some people, like a number of the texters I'm getting, or a caller, Bill, who said they're just they were planning to go, but they're just not going to go. Now we don't know how many people would say that they were going to go, and then also say they're not going to go because now you've got this requirement in. That's something that you're never going to know for sure. But I I do think I do think it is going to have an impact. Um, all I can say is I just. I hope we can get through this sometime soon. I, I do want to have this sense of normalcy and a return to normalcy. I was hoping we were getting closer to that. It appears that we're moving farther and farther away from that, and I don't know what that light at the end of the tunnel is. Hopefully it's not a train coming the other way. We'll see how this impacts Summerfest, and it's going to be tough to measure because, again, this is a Summerfest unlike any other. It's not in June and July. It's in September. It's not um, over a Wednesday through a week from the, next, the first Sunday. It's now nine days over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for three different weekends. So it's going to be tough to compare apples to oranges. I do think that there's going to be an effect on attendance. How much of an effect, we don't know. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the WTMJ NX Wealth Management Studios at State Fair Park, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, one final thought about what we were talking about with the Summerfest decision. A number of people are asking, has there been any word yet on the refund policy? And that is, in other words, if you have purchased tickets to a particular concert and you are making the decision that you're not going to get vaccinated and you're also um, don't want to comply with getting the, the COVID you know, test 72 hours beforehand, can you get a refund? And and the answer is is unclear as of now. I know some people are saying, well, we've heard the Ticketmaster isn't going to be giving money back. I don't know the answer to that. And I think when we talked to uh, Don Smiley yesterday, he said, well, we're, we're kind of awaiting guidance on that. And once we know more, we will bring it to you. Okay, want to switch gears. We, we talk, we, we've talked about these mandatory vaccines in the context of of workers, For example, can companies, should companies be able to force people to get vaccines if if they choose not to, as opposed to putting other mitigation steps in place, like constant testing and making people who aren't vaccinated wear masks? And and that's always been kind of the ongoing battle. And I think, you know, most employment lawyers would probably say, yes, companies can require people to do that. Um, But the risk is, of course, as I've been saying, where are you going to get people to do the job? If all of a sudden you you fire ten or fifteen or twenty percent of of your workforce, how we, we can't people can't get people to do jobs to work now? What are you going to do suddenly if you have to get rid of a large chunk of your workforce? But but that's that is in the private sector. Joe Biden is getting ready to issue an executive order which will mandate COVID nineteen vaccine for everyone in the U.S. military. Um, 
the anticipation now right now the vaccination rate in the military is slightly ahead of the national average um roughly 71 percent of american adults are partially vaccinated 73 percent of the active military force has at least one shot um i'm looking at a story in the wall street journal the navy has the highest vaccination rate 81 percent of sailors are fully vaccinated 60 percent of the marine corps which has the lowest rate among the services. All right. Um, The military already requires service members to receive 17 other vaccines. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, President Biden is getting ready to issue an executive order which will require members of the military to be vaccinated. Now, the one little asterisk that goes with that is, um, so far, the, the vaccines have not approved, been fully approved. They're still considered to be experimental by the Food and Drug Administration. And here's where it gets a little tricky. The vaccines that are administered to people in the military, and they don't have any choice about this. You know, you're going overseas, they give you a whole bunch of shots. All of those have been fully approved by the FDA. The president's executive order would require members of the military to be vaccinated um, even even if the FDA has not moved to full approval um, of this. So they're asking for, like the military says, we want a waiver of this requirement, so we want to give the vaccines to military people right away. We want to do it regardless of whether the FDA issues full approval or not. Now, let's also be real. The FDA is going to be approving, they're going to be moving these vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna ones, they're going to be moving them from experimental to full approval, my guess is within the next two weeks or so. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, members of the military, experimental or otherwise, should they be required to be vaccinated? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you were a member of the military, I would be particularly interested in your perspective on this because my guess is that, especially if you served overseas, my guess is before you went overseas, you, you got all sorts of vaccinations and you didn't have any choice one way or the other. It was just, okay, line up and, and get the shots. If that was the case then, is this really any different now? 855-616-1620. If you're in the military, should you have to be vaccinated um, by presidential order? And does it make any difference whether the particular COVID-19 vaccine is approved or not? We discuss in a minute. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, President Biden is getting ready to issue an order that everybody in the military will have to be vaccinated for COVID-19. Now, people in the military get vaccinated for all sorts of stuff. That The difference is that the COVID vaccine hasn't been approved yet for regular use, although it will be, I think, in the next couple weeks. But regardless of whether or not it is approved, I think what you're going to see very, very soon is in order that everybody in the military has to get it. What do you think about that? Let's start with Travis in Bayside. Hi, Travis. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I just, uh, for a little, a little background, I just retired in 
December and uh, tw- 25 years. Most of it was part time, but I did uh, I did my time. And uh, I grew up in a family where one of the parents was um, not for vaccines, so I had to get all of them when I joined. And uh, I'm I'm pro vaccine myself. Uh, I did get the the uh, COVID vaccine, the Johnson version, um, but right. uh, but I believe pri- private citizens should have the choice ultimately. On the military side, uh, I think that for preparedness reasons, they have to balance the risks and make a judgment call for the members of the military. And I, I believe that power rests with the military leaders. They they have to uh, figure out what is best for the group uh, to be prepared for anything. And in this in this case, um, they have the information they need, and, and it, it should be up to them. And when you join the military, you kind of – that's – that's the world you go into. It's, it's balancing risks and, yeah. and going with what leadership believes is right. Well, it's also, for, for example, and again, see, I see this, and I, see, I think, Travis, it sounds like you're kind of like me. I, I am pro-vaccine, but not necessarily pro-government forcing mandates on people. But to me, the, the military is a different sort of, the military is a different sort of situation. I mean, I, I just remember, you know, a while back on the, the naval ship, the, the Theodore Roosevelt, you know, they, they had a COVID outbreak, infected roughly a 1,000 sailors. That the ship had to dock in Guam for you know a couple months. That's the, the military to me is a different situation than say an insurance company, for example, or deciding you know whether you're going to get vaccinated to go to a show. The military, to your point, talking about prep, prep preparedness, it's just a different. It's it's a different animal. Yes, it, it's a tool. I'm not saying that I believe the vaccine is 100% effective. I'm just saying they got to use all the tools they can. Otherwise, we could have a whole ship's worth of people unable to uh, defend the nation. Right. Yeah, no, thanks for call. I, I agree. See, that's why I, I think as a general rule, even though I am pro-vaccine, I am I am anti-vaccine mandate. But, I mean, which isn't to say that I don't think employers have the right. Do employers have the right to tell people that you have to do it? Yes, they have the right. Is that always the right thing to do? No. Could you, for people who have legitimate concerns about the vaccine, could you impose other restrictions like, hey, we're going to test you for COVID every three days. We're going to make you wear masks, etc. Yeah, I, I think employers could do that and, and maybe make it just so onerous that you decide, hey, I'm going to go ahead and get the, the vaccine. And I come at this from the perspective of somebody who has been vaccinated, but nevertheless knows some smart people who have have decided not to not because they're kooks not because they're crazy just because they've got some in their minds some legitimate concerns and some legitimate health issues but you know that aside the military is different here's a text jeff as a retired military member we received an onslaught of different vaccinations um if they deem it necessary then i guess i am for it on the same note, though, if President Biden is going to issue an executive order for the military, he should order all federal employees to receive the vaccination, including Congress and the Senate. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think he's got the authority to tell the Congress and the Senate, a separate branch of government, what they should do. But, I mean, that, that is, you're, you're starting to see that with more and more federal employees, that they're getting that order as well, that you've got to do this. And I think once... 
once this is fully approved by the FDA, I think you're going to see a broader sort of orders coming out. And I think the federal government will say, you know, as a condition of employment, you're going to have to be vaccinated. Now, what happens if, as I've been talking about repeatedly, what happens if a significant chunk of people decide that they're going to pass on that and where they're going to get the employees to replace them? I I don't know. But I, I do think you know, for many times, you know, we, we've been using like the carrot and the stick approach to try to get people to get vaccinated. And we've been offering them the carrots. Hey, come on, get vaccinated. You get a cream puff. Um, I, I think more and more there's going to be the, the stick that's going to be used that, hey, you know, if you don't get vaccinated, you know, you, you might not be coming to work on Monday. As far as members of the military, I, I think it's a different thing. When you sign up, you know, you, when you sign up, you give up a lot of freedoms. When you decide to join the, the force, you know, you understand that, hey, I, I can get assigned. I could be uh, two days from now. They can send me to Germany to work somewhere, or they can send me to Rapid City, South Dakota, to watch missiles rust or whatever it might be. But, you know, you, you give up a lot of rights when you join the military. And I do think that, again, thinking about the Navy, if, if you've got – a thousand sailors that are on a ship, the last thing you can have is a COVID outbreak. So that, to me, justifies perhaps a different level of concern. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. We are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. One final thought on our last conversation. Here's a text, Jeff. I did two tours of duty in Iraq. Thank you for your service, sir. I don't even know how many shots they gave me before both tours. I figure if I haven't grown a third eye from those shots, then uh, this one's fine. People should get the shot. But, yeah, that, that's the that's the larger point. I mean, it's just when you join the military or you're drafted from the military i know there's a lot of you know vietnam veterans and vietnam era veterans and world war 2 veterans who probably who, who think who can just remember the time you go to the induction thing and you know you you just go over to sick bay or whatever and you're lined up and you're just getting every sort of shot imaginable you know it's interesting the last texter said that my brother said that too he was in the navy and he said i've already gotten you know right. 15 20 vaccinations what's what's another i mean but i think that's the mindset of someone going into the military because the, well, you're just right. mandated to do that. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, and like the texture, I mean, the texture, you know, who, who knows, you know, what what you might be exposed to when you go to Afghanistan or you mm-hmm. go to Iraq or whatever, yes. all sorts of all sorts of potential diseases that you might not necessarily be exposed to here. And the rule is, yeah, we're going to jab you. Yeah. We're going to jab you. Okay, now, Melissa, we were actually, we've been talking off the uh, couple days. The, you know, we had the big storms that moved through, knocked out all the power. I had been, and this is a true story, we've been talking off the air about how I wanted to, I wanted to generate. That was the first thing I asked you this morning, because you were like, we were without power for eight hours, and... You were going to get a generator. Well, I does w- this change your mind? Well, it, well, see, see, here's here's the deal. I've wanted one for years and years. Um, but for example, my, my my wife Fran, who is incredibly generous in giving, she's also frugal. I don't mean cheap, but I mean she knows she she's <laughs> yeah. frugal, and she's like she. That's she, not a bad thing. No, it, no, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, you know, she's all she she goes out and she spends money on me. Here, I bought you this expensive shirt, and then I'll say, well, go buy yourself something, and and she'll chop clearance racks and stuff, and she she looks great in all all these things, and I also appreciate the fact that you know she's she's very value conscious. So. These generators, like a whole home generator, is not an inexpensive proposition. But nevertheless, I, I mean, you know, when you need it, you need it. And so it's, 
that the fact is where we live, the power doesn't go out very often. That's a good sort of thing. But it went out last night for about eight hours, mm-hmm. and it, it would have been nice to have that generator to click <laughs> kick on back and on, right, yeah. kick back after 30 seconds or whatever. So I, I don't know if this has motivated me to do it or not. Well, but. maybe you should talk. John Tyler, our engineer, says he has a full home generator. Right. He didn't need to use it. Thankfully, but okay. So now there's something wrong with that. If you've got the generator, okay. <laughs> th- those of it. us that don't have the generators, you know, we lose power. The people that have, and, and I was listening to your newscast, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of people that have like the smaller generators and stuff, and mm-hmm. and yeah, that you really have to know what you're doing because I, I, yeah, yes, you don't use them inside because you know of all those different things. So I wouldn't go that route. It would be, it would be the full home generator. It would be, it would be the whole Magilla in for a penny. The Mac Daddy of generators. And it's true story. Monday night we were out to dinner with some very good friends and I was I brought up this topic this was Monday night and I was talking to you know one of our very good friends and they live in River Hills and I said okay do you guys have one and uh, you, the my friend uh, my my friend Kathy mm-hmm. said, yeah, we, we, we do because her husband traveled a lot. And she said, I had six kids, traveled a lot. And I said, yeah, I, I, when the power goes out, I don't want to have to worry about hotels or whatever. I just want the power to go on. And she says, we don't even know when the power goes out anymore because it just kind of kicks true. in. Yeah. Okay, so now I've got generator envy as well. So I think you should get one. <laughs> I'll give you the green light, Jeff. Okay, you're going to give, give me the green light. I just have to come up with the green That's to right. do it. Okay, well, <laughs> M- Melissa says it's good, so there you go. It always amazes me when people, especially grown-ups, do stuff impulsively without figuring out what the end game is. By, by that, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's kind of like the things where you know, you're watching the movie and the guy says, hold my beer and watch this, which is actually one of Wagner's rules of life. If somebody says, hold my beer and watch this, you should probably, if you're really a friend, say no, because it almost never turns out well. Well, a, an example of hold my beer and watch this it is playing out now. It's, it's been five weeks. It's these Texas Democrats. Now, if you, this, this is a replay of what happened back in gosh what was it 2000 you know 2011 2012 when when governor walker had just come into office and he was uh, passing you know introducing act 10 and there were enough votes to pass act 10 and you had senate democrats i think there were 17 of them who decided to to throw a hissy fit maybe 16 or 15, whatever the number was, decided to throw a hissy fit, and they were going to, they just decided to leave the state. Remember, and you had all these people that fled to Illinois. And then, okay, you you get to Illinois, and then the question is, okay, what do you do now? Because if you come back... Well, then you're liable to be, you can be arrested by the sergeant of arms, and you know, you can, you can brought, be brought to the legislature, and you get this quorum. So your, your only choice is to, to stay away. And you, you can argue, number one, that that's anti-democratic. And I don't, I'm talking about capital D, democratic. That's the, the idea that, you know, if in a democracy, you know, we, we have, we elect officials, and, you know, those officials vote. And if you don't like, if you're in the minority, for example, and you get uh, there's laws that are introduced that you don't like, well, then what happens is you you know run to the next time and you throw the the scoundrels out. I mean that's you I mean that's why you have wave elections, and that's why you've seen lots of wave elections over the course of the last you know decade or two. But the the idea that okay we're just going to take our ball and go home and try to gum up the works.
folks and stop the legislature from meeting because we don't like this bill or we don't like that bill. It, it It's very, very, again, I think short-sighted. I think it shows a disdain for the the cons- the oath that you take to support the constitution of the state but but beyond that it's kind of like you want to say what the end game is and i bring this up because like i say 5 weeks ago you had um 57 democratic legislators from texas who fled the state to stop the legislature from being able to vote on changes to the texas voting rules Oh, okay, that's fine. So they leave the state. You might remember there's pictures of all these people. They're smiling. They're drinking Miller High Life beer on the plane, which or Miller Light, which was interesting because you're coming from Texas. I mean, what about Lone Star beer or something like that? But regardless, so they get to Washington D.C. and they get all this fanfare. Okay, this is great. You know, we're in Washington D.C. and they make the rounds of the talk shows and things like that. And that was five weeks ago. And, of course, the Texas governor, he, he hasn't backed down. He says, okay, well, well here's the deal. Okay, I, I've called a special session, and, you know, if we don't have a quorum, that's fine. I'm going to wait till that expires, and I'm going to call another special session. Then I'm going to call another special session, because the, the truth of the matter is you, you don't have enough votes to block this. So now it, it's been five weeks. These Democrats are in, in Washington, D.C. They've got nowhere to go. And they're, they're not making any progress at all. The governor says he's going to arrest runaway lawmakers, you know, when they return to, to the state. And so, I mean, now it's a situation where, okay, what, what are we going to do? They're, they're hoping that maybe you can get the federal government to try to pass legislation which is going to restrict the abilities of states to control their elections. Good luck with that. But you have all these people that are now sitting in Washington, D.C. They're away from their family. They've abandoned their jobs. And there's no end game. Uh, it, it's, uh, it is always amazing to me, again, when people decide, and you can say this about politicians or anyone else, you decide to act on this impulse. I'm going to tell my boss what I think of him, okay, or her. And then you do that, and then it's like, huh, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> just, it's, just, it's, it's all, and this is the same sort of thing. We're going to make a big splash. We're going to bail on the state. We're going to block them from getting a quorum. Okay, five weeks later, the electoral politics have not changed at all. You're out of the state. You're no, yes, the, the, the legislation hasn't gone through, but, you know, but nothing's gone through. It's unless you're going to make a commitment that you're going to permanently exile yourself until, I guess, the next election comes around. And if you're going to move to Washington, D.C. for a year and a half, that's all well and good. But nobody's thought of that. This was, Somebody should have talked to the Wisconsin Democrats who pulled the same unsuccessful stunt a decade ago. Didn't stop Act 10 from getting passed. All it did was delay the inevitable. This is the same sort of circumstance. It's not going to stop the voting reform bills in Texas from getting passed. All it's doing is delaying the inevitable. And interestingly, if you look at the poll numbers in Texas, more and more people are just fed up with this. It's kind of like what you saw in Wisconsin with recalls. There were a lot of people, for example, during the Walker recall that weren't happy without Act 10, but they didn't like the idea of a recall. They said that's why elections have consequences. And it's one of the reasons why I think one of the reasons why Walker um, so successfully 
won in the recall election. This is the same sort of thing. There might be people who might even sympathize with what these Texas Democrats object to about the changes in voting rights, but they don't appreciate the fact that they're acting like a bunch of spoiled children. I just, whenever they do these things, you wonder what the end game is. And big story in the Washington Post today, um, Texas Democrats, fifth week of exile, grappling with the toll of an endless summer on their run, (laughs) on the run. And it points out that they're not going to succeed. So at the end of the day, this is all going to be for naught, and I suspect it's going to cost some of them their careers. Go figure. All right, when we come back, are you going to go? If not, why not? I'll explain. We'll discuss. And no, we're not talking about Summerfest. And we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. It's no secret that that airlines were extremely hard. The travel business in general was hit extremely hard as a result of COVID and the pandemic. And the the travel industry has in general been been making a a comeback. Well, here's some interesting stories. Southwest Airlines um, said yesterday that because of the recent surges in cases of COVID-19, what they're seeing is that bookings are slowing down and cancellations are starting to rise. And their point is that this concern about the Delta variant or whatever, they, they think it, it's hurting them. Okay, now Southwest in early July, you know, reported their quarterly earnings, and they were talking about how, hey, this is, you know, we, we think we're coming back. People are out there traveling, etc. They're doing this. Um, now, Southwest, and this shows how quickly things can change, Southwest is saying that their operating revenue for August is going to be 15 to 20 percent below where it was in 2019. Forget 2020. You know, if 2020 was just a nightmare for everybody. Um, and that's worse because previously they said it was going to be lower, but only 12 to 17 percent. So they're, they're making they're making things worse. They say that what's happening is you've got people that are, are slowing down. They said that, uh, you know, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're looking at their load factor, which is a proportion of seats sold. They say about 80% in August and 75 to 80% in, in September. So they're, they're not flying, you know, full flights. And what the Southwest people are saying is we, we attribute some of this to a concern that people have about traveling again. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've only got a couple minutes, but I, I am interested in, in your feelings about this. I, um, well, well, candidly, you know, I, I, I've been traveling through the course of, of the pandemic. I, I have. And now that I'm fully vaccinated, um, it's, it's, it, it hasn't occurred to me to, to stop traveling. I mean, we're, we're supposed to do our, our river cruise in, that was rescheduled from last year. That's the first weekend in September. I'm going to Las Vegas early October. I'm scheduled to go to Florida in early November. And, and it hasn't, it, it hasn't, occurred to me to not go. I guess, you know, I'm not sure that there's anything that could happen, as a matter of fact, which which would make me not go, unless all of a sudden we waved a magic wand and said, all right, everybody that's, you know, been vaccinated from COVID, never mind, it's not going to protect you. And, and if you've had COVID before, like I have, well, okay, you know, the antibodies aren't going to protect you. I guess I, I and th- this isn't about the masking rule. This isn't about mandatory vaccinations. It's just about, you know, attitudes 
are people ready to go back and continue to travel? And what Southwest is saying, at least they're, they're one looking at this one month, they're saying, well, gee, we're, it's a little bit below projections, and we think that there's people who are pulling back. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you rethinking travel plans because of, you know, what's going on and because of some of the developments um, recently? Now, here's one of our texters, kind of skeptical, says, uh, hey, it sounds to me like this might just be another ploy to somehow raise prices, you know. Well, I, I don't know about that. Jeff, I'm flying to Vegas on Friday. I cannot wait. It doesn't concern me about traveling. Now, I, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting that the texter brings up Vegas, um, Vegas, for the longest time, had very, very strict limitations. They were opening up, but you could only have so many people at, at, a, at a blackjack table and so many people at a craps table, and everybody had to wear masks, and a lot of the big shows had not returned. Now, I don't know where, I don't know where Vegas is with regard to that. I think they've gone back to some of their masking. But in, but in general, I, I think one of the reasons might have discouraged some people from traveling is because of the restrictions that you had to follow when, when you got there. And the fact that those restrictions were being loosened up, I think, made it more attractive for people to go. Now, I would acknowledge, I guess, that if, if for example, I mean, in November, we're going to spend a couple of days in Key West. Key West is my happy place. If Key West put in all sorts of what I would consider to be really, really um, onerous kind of restrictions on what you could do even if you were vaccinated. Well, you know, maybe maybe I'd rethink whether we went there or not, although I, I don't think so. I think I'm ready to um, go. Jeff, I flew southwest over the weekend. The flight was full. Um, I uh, travel a lot. It is packed in airports. Well, that's that's been my experience as well. The, the airports have been extremely packed, um, and that's since I started flying like last fall. Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi Jeff. Thanks for my call. No, I'm not rethinking. Yes, sir. We're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep living. I mean, this uh, October on the first, we'll be in Disney World for the 50th anniversary. Next spring break, we're gonna be in Hawaii. And then uh, we're going to be in Greece for a Greek island cruise next July of next year. So, no, we're, we're going right. to continue living. We're going to keep going. And we may bring yeah, back. Yeah, I think. Yeah. But, you know, it's individual. But we traveled a little bit last year, too. And, you know, it is what it is. Well, right. And, and you have to understand. Now, thanks a lot for the call, Paul. I mean, there there are. There are rules that, you know, you have to understand that if you're going to get on the get on the plane, you've got to wear the masks right now. Okay, now here's a contrary view, Jeff. I was planning a trip in March to Fort Myers, Florida. I am not planning that anymore. Huh. Um, Again, now I've been back and forth to Florida a couple times um, over the course of the last year, and and I, I have I have no hesitation. Now, I understand that the numbers, um, the covid numbers are up in Florida that. I think part of that might be the Delta variant, but part of it is seasonal. In in Florida, in the summer, everybody's inside because it's so hot to be outside. Just like, I mean, here in the winter, everybody's inside because it's too cold to be outside. I, my guess is just a seasonal sort of thing, and it's just my guess, and I'm not, I don't play an immunologist on the radio either, but my guess is as, as we move into the fall, and more people, you know, get outside and more of the Florida activities, more eating outdoors and things like that, you know, where you don't need to be in the air conditioning. My guess is those numbers are going to go down um, 
naturally as well. Have a texter saying that uh, they're going to Aruba. Um, which is, you know, one of the ABC islands, and that they're going to Aruba in the very near future. And there's some requirements there, but they're still ready to go. They're ready to travel. That's my general sense. I, I think, like, the Southwest numbers, I think maybe that there is, is a temporary blip that's out there as people, particularly in some of the areas of their COVID hotspots. But I, I continue to believe this, and I, I see this as I look around State Fair and I go to Brewers games and I, I, I look at all the people that poured into the, the Deer District and for the Bucks games and for the Bucks parade that we were broadcasting live. I, I think, by and large, people are ready to get back to living their lives. And absent some major change, I don't see that. I don't see that that changing. Now, of course, the more people get vaccinated, you know, the more you get closer to herd immunity and and all those sort of things. Which is one of the reasons why, again, I'm pro vaccine, not necessarily pro mandatory vaccinations, but I'm definitely pro vaccine. We want to get back to normal.